And this event is brought to you by Real Estate IQ, the number one in deal finding, providing you with more than 45,000 leads every month. So our speaker for today, let me introduce you to one of our wonderful speakers from our events, Chris Bounce. So Chris. Thanks for having me, Jeff. All right, should I go ahead and share my screen now? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. All right. Can you see that? Yep, it's clear. All right, all right. So last week we were supposed to cover this, uh, part two of the ultimate guide to uh, building wealth and passive income in real estate but uh, we were unable to. So we're gonna do it this week and I'm gonna cover part three. Uh, if you recall, if you were on the, on the first week when, uh, when we started this, I went through what's called a, a variation of the strategy that's called the Burr strategy. You may have heard of it. Uh, it's called the buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. It's a very common and popular strategy to accumulate rental properties but I actually, uh, in, in, in implementing that type of strategy, came up with a, a new variation, just a very subtle tweak that allows you to build up your portfolio much faster. I actually call it the slow flip strategy. It integrates the, uh, an actual, the, another component to it, selling, and uh, selling some of your lower performing properties to reinvest the capital gains into multiple other rental properties, which ultimately allows you to uh, grow a portfolio much faster. So we were supposed to cover part two last week. Um, I'm going to go through that um, now. And part two is going over some case studies, properties that we've actually ran through using this strategy. And then part three is we're going to go through the, a 10-year period, a plan of action showing you how easy it is to retire a millionaire. And not only a millionaire, a multimillionaire. This is someone that uh, something that anyone can do. So we're going to go through a 10-year period and a few different variations showing you how you can actually do that. And because of the little glitch last week, uh, we're, uh, I, I want to give you more and, and lead more in value. There's, there's no charge for this. Uh, and so I have a little special gift that I'll talk about at the end. Jeff, don't, don't let me forget it. Um, because sometimes whenever I get going on something, I, I may lose track of mine. It's just how I work. So, all right, part two, the ultimate guide to building wealth and passive income. Uh, and just real quick, I'm going to backtrack on who I am if, if you weren't able to attend last week. My name is Chris Bounds. I am a licensed real estate agent with eXp Realty. Um, but before that, and, and foremost, I'm a real estate investor. My whole goal with real estate is to build wealth and build passive income. And uh, we've, uh, my wife and I, we have a company, we've flipped over 150 properties. It's, it's quite a bit more than 150 uh, at this point. And we've used predominantly private lenders to do that. Um, somewhere around 17 million in private lending to fund our deals. And it eventually got to a point to where I realized that uh, we were flipping a lot, but it, it, flipping good money, but it doesn't build wealth and passive income. It helps you make money and that's great. So we started very aggressively pursuing the strategy that I'm going to show you now, which is uh, buying more rental properties. On to case studies, and uh, in these case studies, I'm actually I'm going to show you I'm going to show you the hard numbers uh, of what these uh, what these properties are. This first case study, 2730 Mesquite, is a property that's very near and dear to my wife and I. It was the very first property that we bought in Houston and together. And actually, it was 
I think the very first time we went out looking at properties, we, we uh, this is one of the ones that we we found. So, and coincidentally, is actually is one of one of our best. So it's the one that showed us how rental properties, uh, how much wealth that they, they can actually provide. So this is a property 2000. It's like the end of 2011, 2012. We knocked in the doors, pre foreclosure, and uh, what you see is what I walked into. It was a house that was really ugly, smelled even worse. Uh, the bottom picture, uh, you can't really tell, but that's blue carpet. And I'm pretty sure that the carpet had not been cleaned since blue carpet was popular, whatever that was. Uh, and they had a couple of dogs in there and it was just such a horrible smell. The stains from, uh, you know what, uh, it was so bad that actually my wife had to leave the house because we went into it together. She had to leave and go wait in the car as I was getting it under contract. But smelly houses make good deals, right? So this is um, this is what we we bought. So this is what what it looked like on the first part of the burr strategy or the slow flip, slow flip strategy. We buy it and then got to rehab it. Um, I was rehabbing it for a rental, so I wasn't doing high end uh, a high end remodel. Um, as you can see, we, we put in Formica countertops. This isn't. This is 2011, 2012, when really we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we were just following advice from some more experienced investors. But um, we'd put granite in it now. But ultimately, we were we weren't rehabbing the house to flip it. We we're rehabbing it to rent it out. And the comps, they this is basically what they look like. They were basic amenities, just clean and, and fresh. And that's what we made it look like. Uh, we did replace the flooring, Formica countertops, put in some new appliances and, uh, and, and paint, but no real bells and whistles. This doesn't scream like a high-end remodel by any means, but it did allow us to rent it out. Then we refinanced out of our short-term financing, which we used a hard money lender. And then we repeated, and I'll get to that in a second, but um, the sell part, this is where we introduce the, the, the slow, why I call it the slow flip, and, and it's a twist to the the, uh, the burst strategy. So this property, it was the lowest performing at the time whenever we sold it, and it was the lowest performing from a cash flow standpoint, not from an equity standpoint. Typically, your lower performing rentals will be low. I mean, the, the taxes, because of the appreciation, ends up eating a lot of the... Uh, the cash flow, so taxes are growing faster than rents are growing. So it was the same thing here, and it appreciated quite well. So we decided it's time to not renew the tenant's lease after three years and and get it sold. So that's what we did. We had to go back in and, and do a more higher end remodel because looking at the comps, it's, that's what this neighborhood needed if we wanted to get the most out of it. So you can see we, we didn't have to do a lot extra. We probably some new paint, maybe a new carpet. I, I don't recall that, uh, but we definitely had to do uh, new countertops. Um, I don't even, yeah, it doesn't even look like we put in new appliances. So made it look all pretty, then we sold it. I'll go into the numbers in a second, but this is a kind of a transition of this house uh, of, of what it went like from when I first walked into it here, where it looks like it's uh, in the middle of a forest pretty, this is Sugarland, uh, pretty crazy for Sugarland, but um, this is what it looked like whenever we rented it out, much cleaner, and then bottom 
is the beautiful professional uh, photography when we did the final rehab. And this thing sold, I think, the first weekend at or above asking price. Here are the numbers. All right, so we bought this house for $85,000. Try doing that in Sugarland today. Uh, $85,000. We did have to put a lot of money into it because it was pretty, pretty disgusting. Uh, so 65,000, a little over 65,000, including most of your big items. I don't remember if we did a roof, but probably I know we had to do an HVAC and then uh, basically it's just kind of like full gut inside. Um, and and the, that repair model, 65,000, includes the, the initial repairs that we did when we rented it out and then also the final repairs when we did our make ready to get it ready to sell. Uh, the tenant stayed in there for three years. Uh, no vacancy and that doesn't always happen we just got a really good tenant and we made about 14,000 in cash flow over that time period ended up selling it for $237,000 uh, I was also the listing agent so it didn't necessarily have a, a cost on on that end for giving us a gross profit of over 100 grand not bad. Um, so the reason why this is near and dear to our heart, um, other than the hundred grand, because that's always nice, but uh, it, it's what allowed me basically to take this, these funds and go full time and reinvest back in the business. But it showed us how powerful rental properties can be because if we would have flipped this property at the time, based on the numbers at the time, we probably would have made about 30 grand, maybe 30, 35,000. Now, I'm sure most of you would say, like, if I asked you, would you take 30 grand now, even 40 grand now, or would you wait three years for $100,000, knowing that it could be taxed even lower because it's not active income, it's not capital gains. And then if you wanted to use more sophisticated strategies like 1031 exchanges, it could even be tax deferred. Like, which would you choose? It's kind of like a no brainer. Um, take, take, take the 100 grand. Um, and, and that's ultimately what we did. This next case study was the second property that we bought, uh, 5806 Hoover. This was over off the uh, 290 and Pinemont area. is a very similar situation to Mesquite, uh, with, with the exception that it didn't need a lot of work. I think this was a HUD home, or it was a HUD home, but I think it was like a, another investor that had bought it and they just ran out of money and they got foreclosed on. So we ended up walking into this property. What you're looking at here is basically what it looked like when we walked in. We didn't have to do a lot. I did replace the roof. There was a broken window and uh, we, we put in this refrigerator for the tenant. I don't really think we did much else. Uh, it, you, as you can see, it has the Formica countertops. It's white, white appliances, white tile. Not really the most appealing home, but for the area, it was good for a rental. And it rented out very quickly. Here's the, the next picture. So before it was when we bought it. This is the picture when we remodeled it. Um, when we remodeled it, which wasn't really much of an interior remodel, but they had like this it was like a stained or um, epoxy coating um, uh, concrete. It was a concrete flooring, which in certain urban areas that can be cool and trendy for this particular area, it was uh, unique uh, to say the least. Um, and the tenant actually asked to put carpet in, which he paid for and we were okay with that. So uh, 
that's when we rehabbed it, rented it out. They stayed, no vacancies on this one. Again, that doesn't always happen, but um, uh, we refinanced it once we got it rented out. We also used hard money on, on this property when we did the original uh, uh, acquisition. So we refinanced out, held it, and then similar to Mesquite, appreciation, uh, out, it exceeded the uh, the rent growth. So taxes followed that and started eating up with cash flow. So we had to sell it. And, and similar to the other property, Mesquite, the neighborhood uh, now, especially if you wanted to make the most out of it, it required a higher end remodel. So that's what we did. Uh, we had to spend more money on the back end because we didn't really do much on the front end. So we did um, uh, all new flooring, countertops, stainless appliances, uh, paint, and uh, we made it look really, really nice. So here's the numbers on this one. We bought this house for 80,000. Again, try finding a house for 80,000 over off 290 in Pinemont. Um, put in about $36,000 in, in, in repairs between the original and the final remodel. Cash flowed it 12,000, uh, almost 13,000 over the three year time period. Um, the, the margin kind of messed up here, but the sold price was 224,000 leaving us with a profit, uh, a gross profit of 119,000, uh, almost 120,000. Not bad. Um, so th this one was the, the second deal that we bought, but uh, again, we, we bought it with this kind of strategy of let's buy it, let's rehab it. And then had we sold this property originally, again, it would, it would have been about 30 grand or so uh, profit, but because we held it, we were able to make so much more at, um, it just ended up being a massively better deal for us. This third case study is, uh, it, it's one I wanted to show you because it's a recent one. It's not a grand slam like the first two. Um, and we actually didn't even hold this one as long as, as the first two. But um, it, it, again, I'm, I'm gonna show you why buying rentals so you, you can just accumulate wealth so much faster. So this is 835 Forest Bark. This is what it looked like when we bought it. Um, it didn't, it, it does look pretty dirty and the carpet was pretty gross, but it actually didn't need a lot of, a lot of work. I think the only thing we did here was replace the flooring in the living area. Uh, we probably replaced the carpet and, and the other areas, maybe some new appliances and, and that's it. We didn't do a lot to this house. Uh, we didn't replace the tile in the kitchen or the bathrooms or anything like that. It just didn't need a lot. It, it was very well taken care of, and it was actually a fairly newer home. So we uh, ended up renting it out and refinancing it. And then this is the only home that uh, – the only rental we've had – or I, I won't say that. This is the first rental we had where the tenant actually broke the lease. So they stayed there for two years and they were about to renew. I think it was, they were about to renew for the third, but uh, before we even got there, they were like, hey, our financial situation changed and, and we can't rent it anymore. And uh, so they were like, we can pay you one more month and that's it, we gotta move, sorry. So we're like, okay, well, um, appreciate you for letting us know, we'll, we'll go ahead and, uh, uh, let you out as long as we can release it, you know, we'll work with you. So when, when she moved out, she actually left the house. Like we couldn't tell that anyone had ever lived there. It was in the perfect condition. Um, the same condition that when, whenever we, uh, rented it 
like it was like she was never there. So we're like, well, um, she gave us a house that's ready immediately. I could put it on the market today. Um, and this type of home, it's kind of what the other homes look like that are selling. Why don't we, because we're now long-term capital gains, why don't we go in and sell it? it? It has appreciated. And then we'll uh, double down and buy some more properties with it. So that's what we ended up doing. So we bought this house for about 103000 This one's up in... Um, uh, in the Greens Point area. It's not in Greens Point, but it's, it's nearby. And uh, we bought, we put in almost $16,000 in repairs. Uh, virtually none of that was on the back end. I think professional cleaning, that's about it. Cash load, uh, almost 6000 over the, I guess that was a closer, a little over two years. So it was, a, it was a low cash flow. And this is another reason why we wanted to, to, to rent this one is it, this one wouldn't have made sense for a flip so i think if we flipped it we, may, we maybe would have made like 15 grand but when we sold it 157,000, we made our gross gross profit was about 43,000, 44,000. not bad and on all these I, because i'm a licensed agent the, the listing side uh, i didn't necessarily have that cost and i did i i don't like to blend those numbers because it is a job um and i do pay myself a commission but it's essentially my money but um, this was a property that had we flipped, would have made maybe 15 grand, maybe even 20 grand. But because we held it, not only did we double our money, we're able to do that and have a much better tax benefit um, because it's now capital gains. So this is the strategy that uh, these case studies are, are ones I wanted to show you like, these are the numbers. This is what we're doing. These are actual deals that we've done. Um, those aren't the only three. We've got uh, many more, but uh, I like the first two. So I always love, love telling those, but I'll also like to show you one that's not really a home run. Um, so the Forest Park, in my opinion, it's like a, it's like a base hit or a double. And I can do those all day long. And if you do that and you do the plan of action, which I'm about to show you, you you'll see very easily how your wealth can grow um, over time. So what we're going to look at in part three, um, so part three is officially what we're scheduled today. Uh, we're, what we're going to look at is a 10 year time period. So if you were to put a plan in action over a 10 year time period, what would it look like? And we're going to go from a conservative standpoint of buying just one property a year, just one for 10 years. Anyone can do that whether you're just starting out or you're a seasoned pro, part-time, full-time, anyone can buy one rental property a year. It's so easy. Um, Got to have the right team and know how to finance it and stuff, but it, it, it's so easy. There's so many deals out there that make sense for a rental. Anyone can do that. Um, so we're going to start out there, but then we're going to transition to how would it look using the slow footprint strategy and then uh, how would that look going more aggressive maybe buying two or three properties a year. And you're gonna see how easy it is to, or how simple it is to retire a multimillionaire. So let's get started. We have to have a, a, a base level of numbers. Uh, so I know uh, you can probably beat me up on these numbers, but the, the numbers themselves are just a flat baseline. Uh, you can put, you can change these numbers to whatever you want. The concepts are still the same, but because I got to have a baseline, uh, we're, we're going to assume the after repair value of a property is about 150,000. 50, There's a, a 
I mean, whether it's 175, 185 or whatever, it's, it's all basically the same. Um, I mean, you're just going to adjust how the formula is over a 10 year time period, but we're just going to use this baseline. Uh, so 75% loan to value, 112,500 rents, roughly 1% of the value. So 1500 bucks, PITI, 11, uh, $1,112 a month. I think I estimated about 6% interest there, which um, I was talking with my banker just an hour ago, and I'm about to refinance the property at 3.875% interest uh, for a rental. Uh, so I think I estimated a little bit higher, at least on today's current climate. Um, reserves, 10%. So this is your uh, capital expenditures, your vacancy. You've got to, you've got to, pull that back and reserve. So 150 bucks a month, leaving you with a net cash flow of $238 every single month. As you can see here, you're not going to get rich off one rental property. It just doesn't work that way. Well, uh, rental properties are by and large a wealth building strategy, but if you accumulate enough of them, the, the passive income is, uh, it can't grow. We're going to show you how this, uh, how it looks. A couple of things we're not going to factor in here. Appreciation, depreciation, which is really just passive losses on your tax returns, um, which if you have an active job, that can be a, that can add some money in your pocket, and debt pay down. So we're not going to factor this in. Um, so when we look at these, I want you to understand that all these numbers is actually better. It's actually better than that. So let's get started. So again, we're going to buy one property a year. And we're going to do that for 10 years. Let's just see what that looks like. So year one, uh, 2020, you got by one rental property, got 238 bucks a month in cash flow based on the uh, static numbers we're estimating here, leaving you with equity, about $37,000. Not going to get uh, rich or wealthy off this, but it's not bad. Year two, you do the same thing. Everything doubles. Year three, get another rental property. Now you have a whole for over hundred grand in equity. That's not bad. And you got 700 bucks or so in a monthly cash flow. Year four, year five. So a year five, you're over $1,000 a month in cash flow. That pays for, for a lot of people, it'll pay for your mortgage. Um, and if not, it gets pretty close to it. Um, and then your equity, 187,500, that's, that, it's, it's pretty good money at this point. Year six. Year seven, so now we're almost uh, a little over 1600 bucks a month cash flow, 262,000 in equity. Year eight, year nine, over two grand a month in cash flow. Year 10, putting us at 2300 bucks uh, a month in cash flow, 375,000 in equity. So, one rental property, not going to get wealthy off of. Uh, it's it's going to be nice income. Uh, it is a good wealth building strategy, but it's not going to make you rich. Uh, but you do that systematically, um, and and uh, you have discipline to do that every single year for ten years. This is pretty good, right? But it gets even better. You're actually a millionaire at this point. You just all you have to do is you got to pay off the loans. So if you remember, I didn't, I didn't calculate appreciation. So all, all this is based on the property still being worth the same amount. It really is 150,000, uh, or 
uh, it was whenever you bought it, 150,000. That's not, I mean, you, there's no guarantees in life, but by and large, real estate goes up over time. Hold it long enough, it's going to appreciate. And you're going to get the debt pay down. So you're a millionaire at this point. All you have to do is pay off the loan or well, the tenant pay off the loan, really, right? So if you have 10 properties, 150,000, if they didn't go up in value at all, you pay them off, $1.5 million in your retirement account uh, or in your on your financial statement for retirement, that's good money, right? You're a millionaire. But you can do better than that. So buying one a year, I think anyone can do. I'm confident anyone can do that as long as they um, knew how to do it. But let's see what implementing the slow flip strategy, how that can increase and uh, exponentially increase the, the the financial statement, your financial statement uh, over this 10 year time period. So if you remember the in the three strategies, that, the three examples I showed you, I ended up selling the property and it's because through the appreciation, the, they became very low performing from a cash flow standpoint. So we decided to sell them and then reinvest the proceeds back into more properties. So from a, from just a plan of action approach, what if you did that? So you still buy one a year for 10 years. So at the end of the 10 years, you have 10 properties, but during that time period, you sell the weakest ones, half of them. So starting at year six, just say starting at year six, you go ahead and you still buy a, a new property that year, but you sell one of your weakest performing properties. And you use the proceeds there, not to buy one additional property, because that would just be replacing it, but buy two. So you essentially reinvest the capital gains and double the amount of properties. You're turning one rental property into two. So how that looks is you've got 10 properties over a 10 year time period, but if you start in year six, you sell the weakest performing one, do that same year seven, eight, nine, 10, each of those years. But when you're selling it, you end up not only replacing it with a new one, but buying one additional. So you have, 10 originals, you sold five of those originals, use that to buy 10 more. So now you have 15 total. Now your cash flow at the bottom is 3,500 bucks a month. That's good. And you have over half a million dollars in equity. And remember, appreciation is not even factored in here, much more than that. So you're, you're a multimillionaire at this point, as soon as you pay off the mortgages or let your tenants pay off. Does that make sense? All right, that's if you just buy one. I'm a little bit more ingress, uh, aggressive than that. Uh, anyone can buy one, but I actually want to buy more than one a year. So how would it look if you bought two? So if you bought two, the way that works is over a 10 year time period, you've bought 20 properties, but same thing in year six, year six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, we're going to sell our weakest performing ones. Instead of selling one, we'll sell two this time. And then we'll take the proceeds from every, every single one of those years, Proceeds from selling the two, and then we'll we'll double them. We'll buy two to replace them, but also two new ones. So we'll have bought twenty, sold ten, replace uh, doubled those to uh, make twenty new ones. So now we have thirty total properties, giving us a net cash flow of seventy one hundred bucks every single month. 
and 1.1 uh, over 1.1 million dollars in equity. It's starting to get into some serious money here because the $7,100 a month, at least as far as today is concerned, most people can live very comfortably with that. Um, and if they wanted to be even more aggressive, they could probably keep their current job and then use that money to help pay down the loans faster or 7100 bucks a month, that can accumulate pretty quickly to start buying more rental properties faster. So uh, if you were to do that, then maybe you're not buying two a month anymore. You're buying three. So, or three a year. So the, the, the last uh, little plan of action we're going to go through is what does it look like if you bought three a year? So if you bought three a year, for 10 years, you've got 30. Again, starting at year six, you're going to start selling off, not, um, you'll, you'll sell off three this time. Use the proceeds to double. So we each property turn it into another. So now you have 30 new reinvested properties, giving you 45 total, giving you 10 over 10 grand a month in cash flow and 1.6 uh, over 1.6 million in equity. Which, if you even if you don't factor in appreciation, it's like over six million dollars in in equity. That's a pretty good retirement. It's a really good retirement. So it, maybe not everyone has the appetite to buy three a year, but you definitely can buy one. And I just want to show you how the strategy can really change uh, change the entire direction with your your financial planning if you do it and you're very disciplined to do it. But like everything, there's a, a few caveats to being successful at it. The first is you need to buy like a flipper. And what that means is not necessarily buying it as cheap as a flipper because you can pay a little bit more if you're going to hold it as a rental because you don't necessarily need to sell it immediately for the proceeds. It's just if you pay a little bit more, you may have to bring some money to closing when you do the refinance or do the remodeling. And that, that can be okay if, if you have that cash, but the, the cheaper you buy it, the less out of pocket you have. And all three of these properties that I just showed you, I bought cheap enough to where I didn't have to bring any money to closing. I either used my lender or I had some lines of credit. But um, even more important than that is you have to manage the properties like a professional. And, and, and that's huge because the best deals that we get are from bad landlords. It, it's just true. Uh, most, uh, most people who own rental properties um, that, that at least that, that we come across, they didn't intend on renting the property out. They either couldn't sell it, so they had to move out and they just rented it out, or they inherited it. In any case, they didn't manage it very properly. Tenant gets in. Runs into runs it to the ground, ends up skipping out. Now the landlord's holding the bag, and they usually don't have the money to to repair it and get it sold or rent it out again. So it's very important to manage these properties like a professional. If you have the time flexibility or over like the desire to manage them them yourself, that's okay. You, you need to know what you're doing so you don't get uh, one screwed over, but also you, you don't violate any, uh, you know, tenant landlord laws. But um, if not, especially if you have a full-time job, just let a property management 
a company doing. So management yourself can be educational. And if you get the desire and patience and, and um, ability to do it professionally, then it can be good because it gives you that expertise. And later on, uh, at least gives you more uh, experience to know what, you, what to look for in a property manager. But there's property management companies, really good ones locally in town that know uh, they can do it at uh, a high level very well and for a flat monthly fee, like less than a hundred bucks um, per, per door. That's cheap. That way you don't have to worry about the Friday afternoon, like my AC just went out or the toilet's clogged on the weekend because they always happen on Friday afternoon. I don't know why, but uh, it's just the way it works. You don't have to worry about that. You just worry about the, hey, when's the rent deposit hit my bank account kind of, kind of problem. And those are the good problems to have. So uh, financing. That's another big caveat because you not only need to have the financing to get into the property, like to buy it, there's plenty of hard money companies out there, very reputable ones. Um, and then as you get more experience using private lending um, from individuals, you can do that, but you also have to have the credit worthiness to refinance on the back end. So as you gain experience, you can get private lenders to do the back end financing too. You are going to pay a little bit more, but if you become bankable, then you can get rates down into like you know, the sub 6%, like the 3.875 that I got earlier today. Um, and that's really going to help. But you need to know that in advance because the last thing you want to do is get into a property, get it rented out, and then figure out that you can't refinance. If you can't refinance, it may be, it's probably going to be a little bit more challenging to cash flow when you're at 10, 11, 12% with a hard money company, a hard money loan and short term has to be paid off in six to 12 months. You don't want to get caught in that situation. So you want to make sure that your finance, uh, you're bankable, you're able to get into a long-term loan before you start buying rental properties and uh, maintain that relationship with the banks even before you even start the strategy. Maintain it now, open up bank accounts at local, local banks and establish that relationship so that way when you're ready, they know you and they, they want to work with you. They really do, they wanna loan money. Um, accounting this is another big thing that I, I actually made this mistake early on. If you are not a, a certified accountant, CPA, bookkeeper, don't do this. Don't do it yourself, especially from a bookkeeping standpoint, it's a 30 to $50 an hour job. You don't need to do it. Like your, your time is more valuable spent elsewhere. If you have professional training in those, maybe you could do it, but it's still probably better to let someone else do it, especially the tax return side. Because uh, if you let a real estate professional, a uh, real estate accountant or CPA take care of that for you, they're gonna be able to pay for themselves uh, many times over than if you miss some things that maybe there's some extra deductions, more accelerated depreciation schedules you could have taken advantage of, or even worse, you put something in or wrong and you get audited and it just sucks a lot of time uh, later on trying to fix it. So it, unless you're a professional in that field, don't do that yourself. And then lastly, escrowing. And this is uh, another big thing that, that trips up a lot of landlords is they don't escrow for capital expenditures and vacancy. So in the three examples, only one that I, I mentioned in those three, only one actually vacated before their lease was out. 
But if you extrapolate over a 10-year time period, many of them are. I mean, we're going to get some good tenants, and I have been blessed. But many of them are going to need to need to want to or by eviction have to move out. And you're going to need the uh, you're going to want the capital reserves to fund paying for the mortgage, taxes, insurance during that time period. But also repairs, things break down. It could be you could buy a brand new house. You give it long enough, it's something that's going to break. Whether it's a water heater, AC is going to go out. You're going to have a flood. Uh, something's going to go out, and maybe you have the, the liquidity to handle one of those events, as long as it's not too serious, even without an escrow. But you start building a portfolio, and it starts like maybe two or three or five end up going down or having some type of serious issue at the same time, like a big, big strain on you. And this is where a lot of landlords, they can really get messed up because they don't have the liquidity and they didn't escrow to be able to support the property whenever there is a, some type of negative of debt. So, uh, but the good thing is if you do these things, it's a very, very, uh, effective strategy to build wealth ultimately it requires you have to reinvest so in none of those properties that this especially those first two the 100 grand plus gross profit properties we treated ourselves to something really nice um that was fairly uh, reasonable like the first one my wife wanted an espresso machine so we got that next to the kids and hopefully me probably our most prized possession in the house. Uh, and the second one, I, I don't, I, I really don't know what we did. Uh, we probably just went out to a nice dinner, but we didn't go out and buy, a, I don't know, a, a new Range Rover or go on some month long vacation or upgrade to a million dollar house. It's not what we did. We reinvested it. That was smart. It's the uh, prudent thing to do. And then, hey, when this thing grows out to where we got a $6 million uh, nest egg, now we can start splurging a little bit. That, that's our game plan. So hopefully in, uh, in seeing this played out and seeing how simple it is, I've encouraged you that maybe you don't do a 10-year time period where you buy one every year. Uh, maybe, maybe that's not the strategy that you want to do. But I just wanted to show you how simple it is. It just takes consistency. So maybe you want to buy one every two years, one every three years. And uh, especially if, if you're younger, you can do that. And there's even ways, sophisticated ways where you can do that through retirement accounts and build this up tax-free. I just want to encourage you that building wealth and building passive income, is going to be hard to do that if you're flipping or wholesaling. But if you actually have the discipline to do it through rental, rental properties, it can build wealth. It adds up. It adds up a lot faster than you think. And then doing the slow flip strategy, in my opinion, is one of the greatest ways that you can build wealth and build passive income in real estate. I do it. Hope you do it too. So uh, that's all I got. Let me stop my screen share here. We'll hand it back over to Jeff for, I think we may do some Q&A. We'll pop in the uh, Yes. Yeah, thanks so much for that, Chris. And for everyone that um, haven't answered the, the poll yet, so this is just for Chris to know if um, you're an active real estate agent or broker. So this is just the more additional information about um, you, our attendees. So again, 
Everyone, this event is brought to you by Real Estate IQ, the number one in deal finding, providing you with 45,000 leads every month. So um, before we go through the next slides, again, everyone, if you have questions, um, please do select all panelists and attendees from the chat box so that um, everyone can see your questions. And this is also just to give you time to think about your questions and um, you know, um, post them in the chat box or the Q&A box. So with Real Estate IQ, we guarantee that you will always find a deal with Real Estate IQ. And if you have questions about our products and services, or if you're new to Real Estate IQ, always feel free to contact our customer service. So I'll be posting those numbers and those links later on um, within the Q&A session. So you can copy them to your computer so you don't have to write it down um, today or right now. So um, by answering our polls, this uh, third, third poll that I'll be launching right now, um, I told you that you'll be eligible to join a raffle. So this next poll is more of just getting us, uh, letting us know if what products are you interested at. So this might be the next um, prize that we'll be giving to our lucky winners for the week. So uh, feel free to answer the next poll right now. And if in any case that you missed the second poll for the free 45 minute one-on-one -on -one deal finding training, please do post them in the chat box. So what I do usually at the end of the webinar, I get your names, I get your details. So just to be sure that you can be uh, reserved for a free 45 minute one-on-one -on -one deal finding training. And also later on, I'll be posting the links to our community portal. So this is more of um, letting you join our groups and this works like Facebook. So you can post your questions, you can communicate with the, with the group members. If you have questions about um, real estate business, if you're a newbie, you can also get information from the members of the group. So also look out for our events. I'll be posting that link as well later on. So those events every month, we are posting them in that link so that you can reserve your spot and make sure you're notified of the next events with Real Estate IQ. And right now we are on our Q&A session with Chris. So as I can see that um, in case, Chris, that you haven't seen this question from the Q&A box, uh, Frank Cornier asks, how do you find your properties? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can find properties. Uh, I'm full time, so uh, you know, I have to market. I do marketing, um, whether it's direct mail, you can do internet marketing, pay per click on Facebook or Google. Or really, the, the more effective way is, especially if you don't want to worry about marketing and lead generation, all that, is you just network. Start talking with real estate agents, talk with other investors. There's a lot of wholesalers out there that that's their job is like to find deals and, and sell them to other investors. Um, so you, it's possible to find a deal on MLS. It will be challenging to find a really cheap deal. It's just like a home run on MLS just because you put it on there. I mean, there's 40,000 realtors plus the, hundreds of thousands of buyers all looking on uh, MLS too, it's going to be very easy to essentially turn a 
good deal into an uh, auction system, uh, which is why sometimes when we want to sell a house fast, even if it's distressed, we'll put it on MLS because I know it's just going to, we're going to get such a high price for it. So uh, ultimately networking, which we're doing a lot more of that now, talking with agents, talking with realtors, talking with other wholesalers and investors. Um, if you know any local lenders, even private lenders, sometimes they, they get bad deals that, you know, their borrower defaulted and they need to get rid of a property, then um, you want to be that, that, that person to go to. Um, driving for dollars. So just driving neighborhoods you want to invest in, seeing that overgrown house, that for rent by owner that's been sitting there for three months and just looking up the owner information and sending them a letter, giving them a call. Yeah. Um, I know Mario asked about the ramifications for, um, as far as taxes for flipping versus buy and hold. So I'm not a CPA or accountant or anything like that. Uh, but ultimately, a, a, from what I understand, capital gain is an investment that you've held longer than a year. And once you've held it longer than a year, it, it becomes a long-term capital gain, any proceeds. So if you were to sell it, the profits or proceeds ends up becoming a capital gain, which is taxed differently than your active income. Uh, it's, it's between like zero and 20%, depending on what tax bracket you fall in. So, it, which is lower than the active income. So if your, your job has uh, that's your active income and, and flipping is active income, wholesaling is active income. So all that is uh, going to, going to be your normal tax bracket. And however that, you know, whatever tax bracket you um, fall into, but ultimately a, a capital gain is typically is lower than your active tax bracket. So that's why I say that you'll end up having savings from a tax standpoint by holding rental properties. In addition to that, you'll have the, uh, the depreciation, which you could argue that it's not really even a savings because you do have to do what's called depreciation recapture at the end, but time value of money, I'd rather have my money now uh, and, and use it to reinvest. That can get a little complicated, but, um, and then the, there's a 1031 exchange. I've never done one. I know investors who have done them. They love them. It's a way to sell a property. There's certain rules you have to follow, but you can essentially take all or a portion of the proceeds, reinvest it in another property, another investment property, and then defer the taxes on them until that property sells. But you can keep doing that as long as Congress keeps that law. Um, you, uh, Mario, you also mentioned as far as the number of conventional mortgages you can have, you can actually have up to 10 from what I understand. The problem is once you get to four or five, the way the rules are with debt to income ratio, it becomes very challenging to keep getting conventional mortgages. Uh, whenever I started investing, that was always a sticky point for me. It was, it's a mental sticky point. Because you, you can't build a wealth strategy on conventional mortgages. Get them while you can. Definitely get them while you can. Rates will be better. Terms will be better. But at some point in time, you will have to go to a, a local lender, a, pri a local bank or a credit union 
to get what's called portfolio loans or commercial financing. That's why I say, even if you're getting conventional lender loans now, open up an account with a local local bank, start understanding what, what it is that they like to, um, to loan on, develop a relationship so that way when you're ready, like they already know you. And a lot of them are very eager to make loans. They just like, they like to know you versus conventional. They'll kind of take anyone that qualifies. Um, and then local lenders, some of them do 30 year. I'm, I'm doing 30 year now. There's a lot of uh, commercial lenders now in, in this space and they've got some really cool products. Some of them will want to do 15 or 20 years, which it just means you cash flow less, but you pay them off faster. It's kind of cool too. I don't know if I missed any questions in there, if I answered those. Yeah, so uh, we also, we have a question, just uh, I can answer it for YK. For the recorded session of this webinar, we are sending out emails um, within 48 hours so that our attendees can get a copy of the recording in case you wanted to review um, the whole session or let's say just like what uh, YK experienced that uh, he missed half of the webinar so you can um, watch, re-watch it. So just give us time. It just, it's just a 48-hour uh, process in our end. So we will sending out that email. And Chris, let me just remind me of, uh, remind you of um, your gift for our attendees yes. today. Hey, and that actually, um, uh, thanks. So that actually plays into one of the questions, private loans. Um, so just part of the experience of being in the industry for a while, and whenever I was uh, young and in this uh, just just getting going, I'd always talk with more experienced people. I'd go networking in meetings, which can't really do that in person now, but I always ask ask questions and network and all that. And uh, but eventually, in doing that and building a reputation of being honest and ethical, uh, you get to know know work with and collaborate with some very sharp people in the industry. And I've I've had that privilege, um, and they've been tremendously helpful to our career over the, over the years and um, a lot of the plans, the really big plans we have going forward. So one of those colleagues of mine, um, I, he's allowed me to share this and I'm going to share it. I've only shared it with uh, certain, um, certain folks before, but it's a, it's a full detailed deep dive into how to get private money how to get private lenders from someone who's spent over 50, uh, I think he's borrowed somewhere around 50 million in private financing. So uh, what I'll do is I'll get the details over to Jeff on how we get that all. What I'll do is I'll set up a, uh, a link and send it over and they can, get, they can get that out to you. Just give me like 24, 48 hours, but we'll definitely get that out. But it's a deep dive in, into building a, a basically building a whole funnel and uh, how to talk to private lenders, uh, what they like, what, what they don't want to see and, um, and how to establish that relationship. So when the time comes and you need, you get a deal that might work for a private lender, like you know what to do. And uh, so I, I think that would be, I wish I had something like that getting started because I didn't. And uh, I know that'd be really valuable. Yeah, definitely, and it will really be a great help for our attendees and our 
um, new investors, new people with the real, real estate business. So um, let me just show you the um, community group that um, Chris is also in it. So let me just um, show, stop share first. Okay, there. So this is a group, um, the link that I posted a while ago, the community.realsafeiq.co slash groups. So this is um, Chris's group, which is rehacking. Um, just like what I told you from the start of the webinar that our community group works like a um, Facebook page. So you can post your questions, you can communicate with the members of the group. So um, this is also like a like a social media network for, for our real estate investors. So uh, huh, let me just open up my um, chat box. And as I can see that we don't have any other questions yet. And just like what Chris told you a while ago that um, we will be communicating with Chris. So if um, our team can like put it up in a just one email with a recording, that would be great. So, so Chris can provide you the link for his uh, gift for our attendees today. So uh, let me just post the link to Chris's community group there. So Chris, do you want me to post your contact details as well? So our, our attendees can um, send you an email or call you if they have questions. Yeah, or they can find me there or on Facebook. Um, um, but also, and y'all are sponsors of this, this event, uh, the Rehacking Live event that we'll be doing next Tuesday. Uh, so definitely welcome anyone to come out because we're going to be talking about, I mentioned the interest rates earlier, and we're going to be talking about what like the sub 3% interest rate, interest rates people are getting, sub 3%, like what that's going to do to the real estate market and how you can take advantage of that. Uh, in your with your investing strategy, we, we have a special guest, uh, Jason Bible, who's going to be sharing his thoughts of that. So definitely welcome anyone to come out and join us. Yeah, and everyone, please do visit our links through our um, events. And also, um, if ever you have questions about you know registering for our sessions and also with with Chris and to look out for his future events with us, please do contact our customer service so we can help you out with um, uh, with assisting you with the registration. So right now we don't, I don't see any questions from the Q&A box and the chat box. So Chris, any, any final words and advice to our attendees today? Uh, the, just go out and buy some properties. The, the first one's always the hardest. Um, and and don't, don't, don't be like, just jump to buy anything. Start looking at them, do some analysis, practice that even on bad ones, start practicing them. that way when the one comes along that you're like, hey, look, this one looks good. You know to jump on it because market's hot and good deals, they're not going to last. They're not going to sit there and wait for you to uh, do two or three day due diligence. Like you, you need to know right then when it's ready to go. So start practicing, start making offers and uh, start, start buying some rental properties. Yeah, and Chris, thank you so much for your time. And I, I'm not really sure if this is or if this can relate, but I thought of a, a quotation in mind if uh, about let's say business or anything that you're, you to do in life. Um, it's either you win or you learn. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, thank you so much for your time. And Chris, thank you so much for this wonderful webinar with us again. And everyone, see you in our future events. All thank right, you so thank much. You. And Thanks so much and everyone, have a great day. Bye.
For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.